I would like to thank everyone here from the attendance and also from our co-panelists to take a beautiful Friday afternoon to be with us. I know we are fed up of uh, women are at the stage, so thank you so much for taking your time. Um, if I introduce this session, it's a little different because we tag ourselves the overachievers. This is mainly how to uh, receive the thunder right away as soon as we we start and finished this conversation. So thank you so much to be a good sport and to join in. <laughs> that being said, um, the, the the idea here is I think that the time for half measure is over. This crisis has brought us to our knees, and we know that this is just the beginning. The pause, as soon as it will be lifted, things will get crazy, and now we still have some time in front of us to organize. So I did convince each of you guys to, to join me, um, to be able to see guys. We know that some people will always be ahead of the others, and we are part of those, uh, those people. But today, we come together in an idea of sharing how we're going to get through out of this crisis, how we're going to get out ahead. And I'm going to ask every one of you to squeeze the other guy to just make sure that the public can have the most out of this. Our goal here is to help uh, everybody to get out because I think that the age of competition, it is officially over. Now, if you want to survive this, we have to collaborate and to share. Uh, I hope that everybody is on board with me with what I just said. Yeah. So uh, here are the rules. It's uh, there's there's no rules. Uh, let's squeeze <laughs> out of here are the rules. Yeah, let's keep the polite, rules. <laughs> but also out of respect and also from my friendship <laughs> to you, try to limit the floor to two minutes. Because if you talk longer than this, for sure the spot will be on you, and then you gotta receive all the attacks. It's a good sport. We know that we are sharing, but we also know the danger coming out of it. With this, and without further ado, I would like to pass the floor on to uh, each, each one of you to introduce yourself. So let's start with Dr. Daniel. My name is Nash. Um, as a, um, for those who know me, obviously I grew up in Montreal. I'm Lebanese origin. Emigrated in Canada in the mid 80s and uh, did most of my studies in Montreal, uh, dentistry. I did a bachelor's and master's degree before, obviously, but then went to Canada. Quebec City, where I did my maxillofacial and uh, got married to a French Canadian girl who's a dentist also, and uh, moved to New Brunswick in 2005, where I started my uh, uh, oral maxillofacial surgery practice, and uh, that's what it is. I'm a simple guy uh, from Montreal, and uh, that's how it is. Thank you, Nash. Um, Dr. Dominique, we like to, to be to be next. Yes, well, my name is Paul Dominica. I'm, I'm a pediatric dentist. I'm also an immigrant to the United States. Um, I immigrated here in the late 1990s to go to dental school. I went to dental school at the University of Kentucky College of Dentistry. Um, and then I did a general practice residency also at University of Kentucky College of Dentistry. Um, and then I was recruited to faculty. Um, initially, I was my faculty appointment was um, uh, to do a um, uh, focus on molar endodontics, but I also um, I, I headed up a program in dental public health there where um, I was in charge of uh, um, using mobile clinics to go out into rural communities to deliver uh, dental care. Um, and I fell in love with pediatric dentistry during that time, and I decided to go make it formal and specialized. Um, I, uh, so I enrolled at Eastman Dental Center at University of Rochester, I became a pediatric dentist, and then I entered private practice um, where um, 
I was sort of the lead doctor and I helped that, that particular practice um, um, grow to, to three uh, pretty large size practices um, and help them ultimately to a, a capital event with a, a corporate merger. And then I left that and then I went and I acquired with a business partner, um, I acquired four practices, uh, grew those practices um, to between six and seven million dollars collectively in revenue, about 2.1 uh, million in EBITDA. And then I sold those and then I went to part-time practice. I, I'm currently um, a part-time associate with a, a very large uh, pediatric dental chain called uh, Dentistry for Children. Um, and that's where I am today. And then I'm also um, an investor in the tele-dental space. We're talking about overachievers. Dr. Pover, yeah. I hope that this is, <laughs> you, can, you can beat this, you can top this. <laughs> Eric, the choice is yours. Well, uh, nice to be included in the conversation with all you guys, that's for sure. Um, and, and, and it's exciting. I, I'm originally from Toronto and I went to dental school at U of T. Uh, my father is a retired pediatric dentist in Toronto. My uncle was as an endodontist in Toronto as well. Um, after I trained at U of T, I ended up moving to Chicago to train as an oral surgeon. And I stayed here and 28 years later and three kids, uh, I, I'm still here and enjoying it. I um, held various positions at, at Northwestern as an assistant professor. And then I ran the oral surgery program at the University of Chicago. Um, in uh, interdisciplinary treatment planning and care and with a group of colleagues uh, we created a course at Indiana University um, after about 10 or 15 years to the graduating students which has been exciting I've learned a whole lot from that um, as well and uh, over the last three years I've gotten involved with uh, Denti AI a Toronto-based company uh, using artificial intelligence to help uh, make a, a change and, and bring dentistry f uh, forward to the future by sharing clarity and, and you know, uh, calibration with our radiographic interpretations and hopefully moving on to oral systemic health links one day too. So, you know, I, I'm uh, uh, very interested in, in practicing and also academics and also, uh, you know, sharing all the interesting things you guys on this panel are doing and the people that are listening as well to uh, move forward and I'm practicing and I still see patients and uh, managing the COVID crisis along with the rest of our profession and uh, Bach it's it's interesting and nice that you put this perspective and group together to kind of work through this so thanks for uh, inviting me in platform thank you Eric now so like us being fourth the pressure is on you now that's exactly what I was, what I was going to say. I'm just, I'm just about to hang up because uh, <laughs> I have to. I'm the last one, so I have to match everybody and and, and try to figure out and try to prove that I uh, that I belong among you guys. Uh, I'm a periodontist. I've been uh, practicing for 17 years uh, in Laval, which is the the second largest city uh, in, uh, in 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 Quebec. Uh, I'm also an expert witness for the uh, Professional Insurance Fund, which is part of my, my profession as well. Uh, I've done a, a things uh, aside of dentistry as well. Uh, I did an MBA, uh, and so I, I'm pretty interested in the business. Side. I'm also uh, quite involved in the community. Um, I believe that uh, that is a, it's a very important part of, of, uh, of uh, 
you know, uh, what we need to do as uh, healthcare professionals. Um, so yeah, I'll try to match up with I'll try, I'll try to match up with you guys. You're doing a good job. Thank you, Nash. Doing a good job, and, okay. and we go from there. <laughs> now I'm starting to regret to be polite and to let you guys go first. <laughs> My name is Dr. Back. I am a general dentist. I am the least graduate of this board over here, <laughs> and <laughs> I'm trying to laugh here, but uh, mainly I'm the CEO of MDX and Co. We have been uh, we have the the favor of the financial work to just try to push forward a new modern dentistry, so we can have a, a way to share our space and our resources. Before this crisis, it was a good idea. Now, with this crisis um, on the way. It is, uh, I, I'm having even more uh, of the financial uh, favor of those words, but just like any of you, I can disappear by tomorrow. So if I'm that active is to hide my anxiety. Um, I also writing books. I'm writing a book every two weeks. And I think this is how I got your attention. It's a, it's, a, it's one thing to write a book. It's, it's another thing to write a book every two weeks. And Eric Lacoste just joined me on, on a book. Uh, he knows that it's not fake. I'm writing myself. And uh, yes, if I say something, I will do it. Now, if you allow me, I will reintroduce each of you so people will know why you're here. Nash, you, we, are, we are about the same age and you're not, you haven't joined a DSO. You built from your own hands a company of 300 people in the dental field. Congratulations, and we'd like to learn from that. Paul. You, uh, you joined in the profession at 27, when we were already graduate. And then you became a specialist. You built up to four clinics. Then you sold everything. And at 49, you just turned 49, by the way, and you don't look 49, you have retired. No, I, so I sold it, for, I was 46 when I sold. <laughs> Go to hell. <laughs> <laughs> but he's half retired, spending half his way, uh, half his time around the world. And now because of the COVID, he's stuck with us. Eric, um, I'm not, not okay, because there's two Eric. So Eric Pulver. Mainly, we just got introduced and I really shut up. But for two hours, this guy was talking and talking and talking. And it was interesting. And we went from you treating the Blackhawks to being a neurosurgeon to the fact that you're investing in AI, which is the future. I was scared though at some point of the conversation because said, are you looking to replace us? But this time I want to be part of the conversation. <laughs> and my friend, Eric Lacos, um, he didn't want to be on this board because he said, hey guys, with this title, I don't want to have hates and arrows in my back, but uh, since I was here, he decided to show up. So Eric is a committee leader. Yes, he's everything that he said he, 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 he is. But also on top of this, the first time that I interviewed Eric, he wasn't worried about himself. He was worried about the people he helped. And then he pushed me. I'm a guy. I'm a finance guy. He pushed me to write a book with him in philanthropy. Now, believe it or not, today, this has been two weeks. This book, uh, three by now, the book is out on Amazon. It's for sale. It's for sale. And all the proceeds are going to charity to help the children of Laval for the first 100,000. So if you know, we have nothing less than ambition to have the attention of the UN. And as we speak, we're trying to find a way to have a, a forward from the UN security. So uh, mm -hmm. he is the leader he say he is. And uh, I'm pretty sure that 
the heat will be on. Without further ado, I'd like to throw a question and I'd like the first to, to take, uh, just pitch in. How do you see this crisis? Is this opportunity or is it just a big threat? I, I think it's opportunity. Um, and I think that opportunity even started before the crisis. Um, there's a guy, his name is Dr. Mario Vujicic. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing his last name correctly, but he's an economic advisor to the American Dental Association. And uh, he wrote an article a few years ago, I think it was back in 2016, and he basically said, you know, our dental system is stuck. Um, what he's been showing over the years is that dentistry actually went into decline before the Great Recession of 2008. Um, and it's really only until 2010 that we did see an uptick in, in, in dental services um, and the market cap of U.S. Uh, dental industry. And that was mainly driven by wealthy, older patients. Um, we have a lot of patients out there where we're just not servicing. And I think COVID-19 will now act as an accelerant to help us redesign our profession to make sure that these patients aren't falling to the cracks. So Paul, what is the ambition here? What are you trying to do? I beg your pardon? What is your ambition here? What are you, what are you trying to achieve? Well, I think we need to start leveraging technology in our, in, in our profession to really fill that gap in so that we can basically bring more people from different demographics and, and different income levels into, into our profession. Thank you. Who would like to answer to that? Well, I, I, I echo Paul's comment. I think it is, it is not an opportunity. It's a huge opportunity um, because uh, most of us before this pandemic obviously, and I was one of them, uh, focusing on production, production, really following that same line of thought all the time. And what this pause allowed us to do is that allowed us to see that a very, very small particulate virus can actually halt and change everything we are doing in a single second. And this has provided us an opportunity to stop and say, we need to be uh, more diversified, we need to be more prepared, and we need to build a, a system in dentistry that is resistant not only to the economics, but also to um, any, any human uh, catastrophe, like a pandemic, for example. So I, I do echo what Paul said. The, I think the hurdles that we're gonna have going forward, if it's with AI or any technology, is how are we gonna be able to integrate these technologies at a fairly, good, low cost in order to be able to serve the needy. Thank you. If, if, I, uh, if I piggyback on, on what uh, Nash just said, uh, you know, those are all very legitimate and important questions. But also, uh, this crisis bring, brings an, an opportunity also in terms of the human side of things, which is something we tend to forget very easily uh, when we're stuck in that production uh, mindset that uh, obviously all, all of us are, are, um, are sharing. You know, uh, this virus uh, makes, makes, makes us realize one thing, planet Earth has never been so small, you know, uh, and our destiny is much 
connected than uh, than we want to believe that or that we believe prior to that because uh, it's a virus that started in China. None of us went to China uh, <laughs> during those times, and yet it changed it changes the life of every single human being on the planet. So I think I think it's a time, uh, uh, and when we when we talk about you know uh, problems in dentistry and and there's technology and all these things that that will be come to our help because hum, humankind is very resourceful, but at the same time I think. On a human side of things, there's a, a new perspective that we have to uh, to take into account. Well, well said. I, I uh, think when I, back to your question, is it a crisis or an opportunity? And I think it's a little bit of both. And I think that because we've had this crisis and this kind uh, what did this virus do and what a huge impact it had, um, how can we be sort of realistic about its impact now and yet optimistic? And I think it's sort of created a paradigm shift or a pivot where we can look at different type of new emerging technologies and innovations and we're more willing to accept how they work both within our practice but the communities we live in accepting these technologies in new ways where they said, oh, I'm not going to do a Zoom meeting. And now they do Zoom meetings to meet and speak with family. So they're seeing that things can work in a different way. So we've been forced to see that. So we have an opportunity to make it efficient and streamlined and frictionless to implement some of those changes now at a crisis time in our practice and choose the ones that will be able to be continued on in the future uh, to maybe really make the work we do more efficient and also maybe free up more of our time for uh, mindfulness endeavors, things in our lives that enrich our lives and reaching out and still be as productive. So that's sort of how I see things uh, today and moving to the for forward to the future. Thank you, Eric. Um, I'm listening to you and not just you, Eric, um, to all four of you. And we sound like politicians. <laughs> We sound like this is what it's good to say on screen. While the people that have showed up today, they, they were they, they were expecting something more of us. So I'll go first. I do think that this crisis gave us the opportunity to have some free time. And I think that without this crisis, we will never have connected as we did. Uh, I never met any of you in real life. And today I, I wrote books with a few of you. But what I'm trying to say here is uh, because we connected and because there was that, uh, that need of uh, a human warmth, of something genuine, we could start to create open our difference. And uh, I, won't, I don't want to be the politician that I just accused you guys to be. So long story short, this is what we did. Eric pushed me into philanthropy and said that, okay, with everything you, you do, you say you do, everything, the, the power and influence you have, can you help me? find money for the children of Laval right away. Uh, I was on an interview with him. I couldn't say no, because I was being polite. And I said, yeah, let's write a book together. And then the minute I say that, it's like, oh, jeez, what did I just say? I, gosh, I just screwed myself. Today, the book is out. And I can tell you, yeah, he, he will be vouching for my words. And I can tell you that the book is one thing. But because he forced me into writing a book, and for people who knows me, what I write, is what I've done already. And now it will, if I've been waiting for me to finish what I'm saying, it will be too late. So mainly I took engagement within that book to have something 
worth my time to write and worth your time to read. But I put everything on the line. I went back to the board, to, to my board and say that, okay, whatever we try to do as the first round of finance, change that. And I want six times that. But because of it, I will have to implement something else. I put at the core of my company. And yeah, I'm gonna share the, uh, the numbers here. The first round was supposed to be 100 million. They taught me down to 60 million before the crisis because yeah, let's just move forward and then we'll see. And um, I want to keep, keep my equity. So that was another way to, to sell it to me. After this crisis and at the, the midst of this crisis, um, I was looking at how things are going and I could, I could disappear like this. Um, a month, two months, three months, that's it. And I was in expansion. And everybody who knows what an expansion is, it's, it looks great on paper, but everything is at risk. And I was not just playing the expansion that we're talking about, we're talking about the expansion plan throughout Canada. So I went back to the table and I asked for 352 million. My board didn't fire me yet, but I'm still waiting for the answer. And I think they're gonna move along. And just to, so you know, my boards are comprised of people that even if I am the chairman of the board, if I don't listen, I am fired. And this is because Eric brought me back to a reality of life. It's, you cannot just be greedy and to just always be bigger and bigger. You have to do something also to, to find your relevancy in society. So what I did is I, I, I rewrote a deal with my partners. It's, we're gonna get you all to become millionaires within 10 years, 10 to 15. But in exchange, we're gonna ask for 2% of your money and 5% of your time. This is what we repackage after writing Aftermath together. And my head is still <laughs> on the line, but I can say that today I'm proud to have been through this process because I found a way to leverage to this crisis and I'm not an opportunist. I didn't try to take advantage of the situation, but the situation took advantage of me and I, I leveraged my, my way out of it. So, please tell me what you did because I'm naked now. <laughs> No, but let, 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 let me add uh, to what you were saying back. Um, you know, uh, 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 all those ideas, because j just to make sure we're sending the right message, uh, it, it's not about, uh, it's not about entropy. It's also about, you know, uh, uh, my analysis and the building my practice. Uh, I'm part of a, of a big uh, multi-specialist practice group. And, uh, um, and, 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 you know, just like uh, we have patients, we have no problems getting patients and, and, and working, making money like everybody else. But at the same time, I, I, um, if you question yourself, uh, what is a dental practice, no matter how large or how big it is, to have success, a dental practice more than ever is a, a business of, of proximity. Uh, people don't fly from Montreal to, to Paris to go see a dentist. They, they go next door, they, and more than ever, they try to, to go local. When I send a patient out to someone else and I tell him uh, uh, it's in a different city, we, even if, it, you know, psychologically, the people don't want to go. They say, but can I stay in the valley? Can I stay here? Can I do this? And that's uh, truer than ever. So this is really much how I, I, I believe that uh, success um, um, is uh, there's my personal values in this, but also success is also how well you're going to be connected to your community. 
And I think the great pause is something that that reminds this reminds us a lot uh, uh, being connected to these, and, and and that's the the discussion we were really having. It, it it's an entirely and completely shall I say compatible with still making good profits, you know, because we're 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 in business and and we, we don't forget that. But it's also but it's all it's about having this con this connection to create what I believe is to be a, a strong competitive advantage. Nash, I'm sure that you have something to say. Well, I mean, uh, I'm going to start to start disagreeing a little bit so we can get some debate going. But, oh. <laughs> uh, you, know, you know, we talk about opportunity and opportunity can be financial, it can be personal, it can be many things, obviously. So the question, it goes at large. Uh, I, 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 get, I tend to disagree a little bit with the fact that, uh, you know, the pandemic is an opportunity to give more. I think giving is, um, I hope people are not waiting for a pandemic to give more. And, and, and I echo and I really like what Eric has put together. We've done a lot of stuff, you know, like Eric has done, you know, travel to Jamaica and do free dentistry. And, and we have our, you know, all little things that we donate, you know, for local. But um, it is something that I found in my personal career is something that you develop as your career goes over. You know, the philanthropic part of your career, I find, this is my personal uh, experience, came to me a little later on as I established myself and obviously financially was able to do that. So, you know, when you graduate, you compete, compete, compete. You know, when you graduate, you want to produce, produce, produce. When you get to a point, you look around you and what you want to do is help other people. So I think that... Um, this pandemic, unfortunately, we see a lot of gouging in, in our industry. It's not necessarily uh, an opportunity to give for everyone. Giving is something that you develop and you have to get. Uh, I think the opportunity of this pandemic is, is, is like you're doing right now, is to share ideas and hopefully influence some people who are not there yet in their career to be able to give more. So, um, but the opportunity for financial success uh, during this pandemic is huge. And I think the panel you have there will, will show that as the, as the talk will go along. Yeah, uh, I would say, um, you know, the, I, I sort of understand, Nash, where you're coming from, because at the beginning when I got out, I was working all the time. And I think that as, as uh, I was able to learn more and experience more, I felt I had more to give back and understood how to do that in a, in a more mature way. Um, the, the, the teaching that we do, we do with the periodontist, um, all the dental specialists, general dentists, lab people, and we do it, we give back. There's no, we don't make gold from that, we donate our time. And we go down once a month and teach the class and we get uh, rewarded personally for doing that. It feels good. Yeah. Um, but I think that with the crisis, you know, on a smaller scale, as far as giving back, um, I'm part of a, a special group of, I, I call it special, they're special friends now. There's about eight of us or oral surgeons that are located in different locations across uh, North America. And we uh, good friends over the last 10 or 12 years, but we share best practices. And uh, we call ourselves the bombs. I'll, I'll go into what that means later when we're not uh, so public. But anyways, it, it's a fun group of guys. We challenge each other. We learn a lot from each other. And over the last seven weeks, we said, okay, we have a lot going on in our lives, but what can we do to create something to share with the dental community 
to start thinking about when we do come back, how, how do we create an, a safe environment for our patients, our teams, and our, the communities in which we live. And one of the guys, because you know, I feel like they all do so much more than I do, and they're all so much smarter, but we collectively grouped together, we came up with what we call an enhanced patient protection plan. And uh, we broke down different barriers that we thought needed to be addressed in moving forward. And we, the idea is that as a um, collective group, the dental professionals, dental health professionals are looking at what the CDC has, what the governors have, or the provincial governments are suggesting. And we look at um, OSHA and we look at regional local component societies. They don't always agree, but how can we create something in the community that we're ahead of, of the game? So we broke down into uh, air disinfection, air conditioning, how do we purify the air and address aerosols? What's the proper PPE and list it and what are the sequences that we work with that in? And also, how do we minimize contact and implement technology in a way that won't be overwhelming and how can we provide that to people in a way that, you know, one office may do something a little different than another office. And that's okay because they, they don't all have to be using this, but it's to raise awareness amongst the dental community to move forward in a safe way because we, we are all doing the same thing, right? We all take care of our patients. And yes, there's production and philanthropy and, and charity and things we can do, but we have an obligation to take care of our patients and our staff. So by doing this um, and sharing it, you know, without gouging, without with, with doing it because our profession needs it and learning and changing, has been rewarding and, and uh, kind of an inspirational uh, thing to do, and it's it's been it's been a nice experience. So we sort of stopped the AI, although we're still our team is working hard on that. We stopped our daily production in the office, um, and we're trying to negotiate all this, you know. And that's kind of where where we've been. Thank you, Eric. I'm I'm looking at the people here, and I can see uh, I can read between the lines. They were expecting blood. <laughs> I will have to help them squeeze some out of it. I'm already late. I'm in the water, guys. You are still watching me with your beers in your hand. Um, the, Paul, I'd like to address you. What would you be doing with your millions now that you are out of the market and you're in a good position? N well, it's, it's, not what, it's not what I do. It, 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 it's, not what, it's not what I do. It's, um, I think it's what we do. And, you know, we all, I'm sure everyone's here, we all, you know, generously contribute. And we, I mean, I have, this. I mean, I, I have, you know, full mouth reconstructions uh, and, and kids, of course, uh, at no charge. Um, you know, I, I've always given generously of my services. Um, when I was, you know, faculty at University of Kentucky, I developed this incredible, I helped develop this incredible outreach program that just um, about a, a week ago, I discovered that once I left uh, that position that the program slowly dismantled and today it doesn't exist. But we, we had this incredible program where we would take these uh, 18 foot wheelers that basically like a full, uh, state-of-the-art dental clinic on, on, on 18 wheels and we would bring them into rural areas in Kentucky. But what I really want to, I'm just going to share something here is, you know, we can, we can 
talk about, uh, ooh, I don't know if I can, are, are you able to sh see my screen? Not yet, yep. Okay. So I'm just gonna share some statistics here that are just staggering. And remember all of this is, is pre-COVID-19 data. So it's only gonna get worse. Um, we can do all that, you know, we can talk from here till kingdom come about charitable dentistry and about charitable causes, but it's, it's just going to make, it's not even gonna make a ripple in, in, the, in the ocean. Because bottom line is dentistry is, is leaving a large majority of the population here in the United States behind. And I'm sure it's the same in, in, in Canada and in other industrialized nations. But can you see this? This again comes from Mario Vujicic, um, some statistics that he compiled here. And here you can see that every 15 seconds, are you all able to see this? Yeah. Yeah. yeah so every 15 seconds, someone visits a hospital emergency room for a dental emergency. Again, we know the hospitals don't have dental facilities, okay? And in 2017, so actually this data is even, is even uh, more recent than I thought, but in 2017, 2.1 million people visited emergency departments in the United States for, um, for dental visits, um, for, for sorry, dental issues. And in 70% um, of emergency department visits it's, were for uh, dental conditions that occurred outside normal hours. That's staggering. So after normal hours, 70% of people that were showing up in the emergency rooms were showing up there for dental issues. And this is consistent with the data that I used to see back in the early 2000s when I was an assistant professor uh, in public health at the University of Kentucky College of Dentistry. Um, the second next uh, chart that I want to show you, it goes to show about basically that dental care has the highest cost barriers reported by patients. So basically uh, on a survey of, of, of people uh, contributing here, it was 8.9% of people said that they shied away from going to the dentist. The next, uh, the next um, issue that people had when it came to shying away was uh, prescription drugs. But I mean, look at it. Everybody thinks, you know, nobody wants to go to a psychiatrist, but it was only 1.7% for mental health versus 8.9% for dentistry. So again, we're not as readily accessible as we think we are. And I think this bottom graph has says it all. Basically, this is from 2000 all the way to 2015 and a little bit beyond 2015. It just doesn't show. Um, but basically, we can see that dental utilization has flatlined. And if we look for this for adults, and I believe adults was from uh, they defined. I don't have it here on the screen. But I think they were defining adults from uh, eighteen up eighteen to maybe forty something. We can see that the utilization of dental services by adults has declined. The we pediatric dentists, we don't live in that world. We see just the opposite. We're increasing because of social services in the United States, mainly through Medicaid, where we're seeing an uptick as the years has gone by. Um, and then finally, as, as I said, from like 2010 above, we did see some uptick. These are for older adults. And if you look from over adults in, in, a, in a, a higher socioeconomic demographic, 
that's where the majority of patients are showing up. And again, this is uh, mainly for general dentistry, but that's what, what is going on. So we're, with pre-COVID-19 data, we're not reaching out to the entire demographic. I mean, where that we have only 36% of adults, 18, between 18 and their 40s, showing up in, in dental practices. To me, that, 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 that's a poor mentality, um, that we're not serving these patients. And what I propose going forward, I think that there's multiple factors of, of why these patients are not showing up, but I think a lot of it has to do with cost. Um, dental schools have been for years trying to uh, expand and, and take in more students and send them to rural areas. And we, I, I've personally seen that as an exercise in futility. Um, I think what we need to do is basically democratize the profession. And how we need to do that is through the digitization of the oral cavity. We have the technology today. We can leverage the technology. We can refine the technology and improve the technology where patients can get very accurate virtual dental examinations without having to come to the dental office. What I'm proposing is that we basically invest in imaging centers that can be located in areas of high foot traffic where we can gather this data to be later analyzed you know, through, through cloud services. Pretty much like what the TeleDentist does. That, that's the, the, dental, the TeleDental platform I invested in. Um, it's great. It's brought in a lot of patients out of the woodwork, but it still can be improved because the using smartphone technology, the images that we get with smartphone technology is still not there. I think we need to set these centers, these imaging centers where we have basically technical staff, dental assistants that could go and capture the images that we need. Um, one of the issues is that we cannot get x-rays um, if a dentist is not present, and I think that's something that we need to change because in medicine, that's not the way. Uh, a doctor can remotely prescribe an x-ray and a technician can, can take it without immediate supervision. And I think this is a, 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 a rule that has to change in dentistry. But in the meantime, we can use infrared technology, uh, such as CareView, where we can really see um, you know, more than get with a traditional photograph. And what I'm really proposing is basically doing as close to real-time caries risk assessment as possible, where we have patients showing up to these imaging centers and we take high-resolution photography uh, with before and after disclosing solution. Because in reality, we treat a disease, and for those of us, I, I do oral surgeons here, and you know, your job is just basically... Uh, you know, your, your bread and butter is basically uh, dental implants and, and, and removing wisdom teeth. But for most dentists, uh, our bread and butter is drill and fill dentistry, basically treating caries, dental caries or dental cavities. And we have this disease that is basically mediated by plaque, which is honestly on the outside part of the human body. And we have the luxury that we can Unlike any other metabolic disease in the human body, you know, whether if it's the heart disease, when you have these conditions, you go to your physician, your physician basically, you know, prescribes certain medication for you, 
uh, an exercise regimen and a diet and how you comply with, with those recommendations is how you right. get better. Wow. With dentistry, we have the ability to remove the plaque to the patient. So even if the patient doesn't comply, we still, with, 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 a, with, with, with diet and with brushing their teeth, the things that we've heard about in flossing, we still have the ability to do that through frequent hygiene appointments. And I think leveraging te the imaging technology to get us closest to real-time carriage risk assessment, combining it with plaque removal, uh, professional plaque removal, we can really put the brakes on dental caries to the point where I have visited a clinic in Europe uh, that I've, I've mentioned to, to all of you, where they have five years have managed to, to bring in close to 5,000 patients. It was like for over 4,500 patients uh, where they've been able to, to, to bring these patients in on a constant basis, do constant care risk assessment, where these patients have not had to have the wrath of a dental drill in their mouth. Wow. Just purely through uh, constant vigilance, frequent examination, and plaque removal. And I think this is, this is where we need to drive the profession, to basically help the people that are falling through the cracks. Paul, can you oh, I, I, um... So we can see the other people too. What do you need me to do? Just stop sharing the screen. Yeah, thank you. Eric, you were saying? I was going to say, uh, uh, Paul, I completely agree with, but, but uh, if I make the devil's advocate, uh, you know, uh, this is a very uh, idealistic view of where we should go. Uh, but I think that this, this it is an idealistic view but we're very but, but we're very far from that and mm -hmm. i think that to make this effective we're not only talking about what we can do as an industry but we're talking about what will be the the polit political will to move down that toward that direction and that's a that's another ball game because you have a lot of of, of groups uh uh who will you know will be against that just be, to put, in order to protect their their financial interests I agree with you. Yeah. I don't think that, Eric, that Paul's uh, suggestion is very far, actually. It's, it's closer than every rest, all of us think. I think the challenge and, and the question I'd like to ask Paul, and maybe Eric also can answer, is, you know, the fact that we're only seeing 36% of adults, is it because they're spending their wealth somewhere else? either technology or something else? Is it because they cannot go to the dentist? That's one question. The second question is, I, lo I love Paul's idea and I think it's the future. It's a very short future, really close. We're working on the same model, but how are we gonna be able to convince those, not the, you know, the ones that are not coming now, the adults, to go to these centers? You know, what's gonna be the driving force? Is it because it's gonna be cheaper? Is it gonna be closer? Is it gonna be easier? So maybe Paul can let me know what he thinks about that. I think it's going to be convenience and, and a cheaper price. Um, ultimately, that's what it is. Um, Eric, Dr. Lacoste, um, I completely agree with you. Um, you know, the will to do this is severely lacking among us in the industry. Um, but when Uber uh, disrupted the, the, the taxi uh, driving system, they didn't go to the, ta the biggest taxi they basically 
the titans of industry in Silicon Valley to develop this platform. And I feel the solution for this is not going to come from dentistry. Because if, you know, a few years ago, I went back to my dental school and they there. To me, I felt, you know, I left, I, I left academia um, in 2005. And when I went back, I think it was, it was in 2016, and I really did not see any significant changes in, in dental education. Um, and I really feel this is something that is going to be, come from outside of the dental profession to drive it this way, because this is really a technological solution to a huge problem. Um, I agree with Paul. If you look at disruptions in every industry, it never comes from within the industry. It's 90%, almost 100% disruptions are from outside an industry. And uh, Uber is one of them. Uh, we can take a Smile Direct Club, which is pretty popular. It's a disruption that came from outside the industry. Correct. Industry. So disruptors are usually from outside. They see a model and they apply it. So I, I agree with Paul. Actually, I'm coming from the financial side of this. And uh, the first time Paul shared his ideas, I think that this is one of the best way for us to reinvent ourselves. Because just to make it clear, our re relevancy has ran from 100% to 3%. In other words, we went from 100 appointments to about three emergencies to three. This is what we're worth today. And uh, when Paul approached me with this, uh, this original idea, I know that he's going to be under the fire. But I don't think that being defensive here will be the right approach. And I'm thinking that if we can just wrap our mind around the fact that we have to bring down the costs of our industry, we, get, we will get out of this one ahead. How? I'm not sure yet. But I was hoping that Dr. Pulver with AI have the answer to that. Well, you know, I, 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 it's funny. I'm sorry we're letting you down on the blood side, but you know, almost every day that I go to work, there's lots oh, of. Oh, me and the ball. <laughs> He's making <it> too. <laughs> you know, and, and so may, maybe one of the reasons that, to, although this is a challenging time to get through this crisis, is that we are maybe a little more calm in in what's going on. But I, I, I think that the discussion we just touched on is really important. Um, and I spoke at length with Paul about. Uh, this in the past, and I think that and Marco at the Health Policy Institute. And by the way, I, I like to compliment the work that the ADA is doing. I think they've done a great job. Uh, they released a toolkit recently. Uh, Marco's got great statistics that he's pulling and sharing, and he's a real visionary um, and has a global perspective and uh, uh, a good friend. Um, and uh, anyways, my my point is is that. In that study, it showed that cost, uh, I, people not being covered by insurance, uh, fears, access uh, to dental care was why a lot of people weren't going. And I think we need to generate a real benefit to patients to go to the dentist. How, like when we said, why aren't the rest going? Well, we need to make it worthwhile for them to go. Maybe it's a challenge to trying to educate. So we need to improve the access, but a true benefit would be helpful. Um, DentaQuest has come out with some interesting articles, and they're pretty proactive and forward-thinking. Uh, article I wrote about dentistry, how do we prevent the decay from progressing, and how do we get this into the market? And I think that's um, 
connect with those patients and just just like we're going to treat a child. It's the first time you see a child, you put cross on him, you'll be losing him for the rest of his life. If the first time you see a child is to give him a balloon and a toothbrush, you might make a friends for life, but that can be done outside of the, the, the cushion chair. So this is what we're trying to say. And just to answer something else, the cost of our profession went to the roof because we have way too much infrastructure. There's actually three clinics at every corner. Do we need that much material? So it's mainly we're spending on equipments, we're spending on rent. We have double secretary or triple secretary. And right now, all of this has to be re-questioned. Can we have a better way to share our resources so we can bring down the cost and also bring down our overheads? This is a question I'm asking. I'm working on those. But I think at this stage, we have no other choice than to face reality. Whatever we had before was a golden age, and that age has ended with COVID-19. Well, like I said, that it was a golden age for some, as a lot of patients were still falling to the cracks. And to go back to what Nacho was originally saying, why is it those patients were not showing up? I mean, I, I think you're correct. I mean, there's so many things out there that compete with patients' attention for the dollars that dentistry does tend to, uh, dentistry does tend to, to go to the back burner um, because it's not seen by a priority. And you can argue, well, that's, the, that's that segment of the population's fault. It's those patients' fault. But I think if we could bring it down to a price point where they can, a convenience uh, issue where they can see, okay, hey, yes, this is now cheap and convenient to, to go ahead. I think we can bring those patients in. But the, the, the thing is, today as I speak in 2020, we have the existing technology right now to raise a generation of subscribers that will never get a cavity. Today, as I speak, even five years ago, we had this technology, um, but we can do this. But what is lacking is the will to get it done. Um, we have a disease that is 100% preventable, um, mainly, mainly 100%, close to 100% preventable, um, dental caries. Um, and yet we are building out what is, I think last year was $135 billion um, for, for disease, that's, that's now I know not a lot is, is, is caries treatment, but I mean, we're definitely building into the, you know, the tens, you know, hundreds of millions for a disease that can be prevented. Um, and I really think going forward, we, we, we need to address this. Um, I know there's a lot of dentists out there who are basically, you know, you know, when I say this, their heart sinks, but I think they've got to realize that the more we image people, the more we collect this data from people, it will automatically bring a boom to the profession right now, because it will bring all these patients with existing disease out of the woodwork. And personally, I feel there, there isn't enough dentists out there to take care of all the disease that's existing right now. But it will bring these patients out of the wood, woodwork and it will allow to have a certain degree of efficiency because everything will be digitized and patients can then work directly with, with, with dentists in the, through the cloud to come up with bringing efficiency into dental practice. I mean, how many dentists get frustrated when they have a 
patient shows up in your chair, you spend all this time collecting this data, doing this exam, taking these x-rays, analyzing, and then you come up with a, a treatment plan and they, they look at you and with like you have two heads um, because it's too expensive. Um, and you feel that you've wasted your whole morning, your whole you know, time with, with your presentation um, when you could have been doing something more productive. This is something that can be done outside of the dental. Patients come into the dental office, we're using our, our time efficiently. Um, and I'm sure even for the oral surgeons in the room, if you can basically consult with your patients, uh, have your treatment coordinators consult with your patients before they get into the office, then you, your time is more efficient in, 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 in doing your more productive services. Um, so I just feel this is this is where we need to, to drive our profession. I, I agree with Paul. You know, you know, if we're talking about imaging center or acquisition of information, remote acquisition of information from patient is is a very important tool. But we have to remember it is a tool. I think what's even more important is to is to make sure that the you know the population understand the importance of dental treatment. I think that's at the basis before you go to get you know imaged or scanned. You have to put the dental health for you as an important factor. Otherwise, you don't spend a dollar on it. If it's if it's five dollars, ten dollars, or a thousand dollars. If I'm going to become a disruptor tomorrow, Paul, uh, if I'm outside the industry, what I would like to do is 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 build these imaging systems, the uh, centers, build these acquisition. I would call it data acquisition centers, and actually allow a patient, uh, you know, once he goes there, and send him a tender from. 1,500 different dentists around them. Absolutely, absolutely. So, uh, that, then it, it becomes a struggle, and I'm pretty sure some of the industry you know, is looking at us saying, these guys are giving ideas that are detrimental to the, maybe to the, like, to the livelihood of dentistry, but that's what it's gonna become. You're gonna be, you know, but again, I don't think it's, I don't think in the immediate future it's going to be detrimental. Actually, I think it will bring a boom, because as you said, you, you, you're able to present all this information out to thousands of dentists. I think it will bring efficiency and cost savings to dental practice. But actually, Paul, you know that now that you present this idea mm -hmm. out, out there in the air, if you not uh, hurry up, somebody will just pick up on it. <laughs> <laughs> and you've been helping them. It's complex because one thing is, you know, having the imaging centers to capture the data, but the other thing is then to have the data analyzed um, while we're still waiting on the development on the refinement of artificial intelligence. So we still need the dentist to analyze the data. And then the other thing is we need the hygienist to manage the plaque. I mean, I always say, I've always been saying this for years that, you know, we have this profession in dentistry, the hygienist, we have, and we, we, it's basically, we have a Ferrari in our office and we're treating it like a Fiat. Sure we're driving it like a Fiat. <laughs> Pardon? Here, you sure you want to bring this online today? Make the promise that you'll be vouching to lower the fees of a profession and make it more affordable. And I'm pretty sure that out there, there are people that will be listening. Uh, and this will, will happen no matter what. Better be part of the deal than be left aside, just like what happened with uh, Smiler Club. It's, it's not only to make it more affordable, but I think what Paul and, and Eric earlier said is to make it more accessible. You know, when you think about third world countries, it's not just about making it more affordable, make it more accessible. I think uh, the ideas that uh, Dr. Pervin has and, and Dominic are, or Dr. Dominic are great because they give accessibility. 
this is what's lacking. Thank you. I mean, very true. I mean, I, um, you know, I, I, you know, I've always been involved, you know, pediatric dental practices are huge businesses. I mean, on, on a busy summer day in a pediatric dental office, you can have 120 kids show for hygiene appointments. And as the parents become younger and younger, um, you know, the millennials is even younger, you know, you know, these new parents come in, they constantly ask us, why can we not just do some of this, you know, with our phones? They're so used to, they're, they're of, their life is very different to ours. They've grown up with this technology. And I think it's about time that our profession adapts to that rather than they adapting to us. Hey, you know, you guys are all lucky because I was on mute and I was talking to myself for the last five minutes. So now that I've Go ahead, all, Eric. Go ahead. Now that I've given you all a chance to talk, um, I'm going to say something. <laughs> um, our, our algorithms that we work with, we do audit charting. We can take a panoramic image and we can pop it into a chart and we can show uh, pathological and non-pathological findings. We can link them to uh, dental billing codes. Essentially, we can come up with what you would imagine a treatment plan to be. We can um, utilize that in this model, Paul, that you're talking about, um, and it exists today. Yeah, and we're, we, we have validated studies. We have the most academically validated and tested studies uh, in the industry of AI, um, at Denti AI. We did it to the University of Louisville. We won a research award. We, were, we presented at Lucerne and American and International Association of uh, Maxillofacial Radiology meetings. And we were to present our research at the uh, IADR, but it was canceled. Um, so we're expanding now into many different areas, including imaging, photographs, STL files, and we're working in Canada um, and in the States with some of the top one or two DSOs. We're also moving into the insurer market, and we've been working with some of the biggest claims processors. So this technology that you're talking about, it exists, and it can be utilized. We're now integrated into Dentrix as well. And we're just about to start working in some areas with our automated learning and uh, doing some studies with some other companies as well in that space. So I think that um, we're a little further ahead than we think, but acceptance is going to be a, a big thing. And we're not pushing that. We want this to help people who are providing good care, uh, make sure that they're they're keeping up that excellence. We're not we want to help people provide great care And I think that it exists um, And it can be used in those lead generation um, Concepts that you're describing today and it will take time, but you know, we're, we're moving in that direction and you know we people and uh, You know seeing how how it can be utilized to change dentistry for the future and make an impact so you know, you can look up and check those uh, those things out. We have some stuff we haven't released yet. We have users using it, um, and it's kind of exciting because it's 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 really here. And it yeah, works. no, th th without a doubt, th these are exciting times. Yeah. Um, it, you, you know, it's not it's not hard to to predict into the future where you know even these imaging centers that i'm talking about they will ultimately be peripheral devices where patients can purchase and bring home where they can get this 
type of uh, examination done from the luxury of their bathroom without having to you know leave their homes um you know i i think i mentioned it to, to, to dr lacoste to erica lacoste you know that even with um uh, probing you know where uh, in san diego at the university of san diego they were working on using squid ink um having the patient rinse with squid ink and and, and the ink gets uh you know, through capillary action, it gets taken up into the sulcus. Um, and we can use that now to, to measure pocket depth without even having to put a probe in there. So again, you know, as, uh, as, as time goes by, we will be able to do very, very, very accurate exams with, um, you know, virtually. And I think this is where we need to push the profession. And it, it has to come from us wanting to push it in this direction and if we Thank do you. this yeah, as a lead generator and we support the dental community and we help mm. them with training we build efficiency in our office and they're taking less time it, it could be adopted in the right way absolutely better than that dentists do it for us than someone else because we want to make sure that our profession uh, is protected you know together as a, as a group to improve it and change it I'm glad that you're talking about that Eric because um, you know your comment is you know we need to keep our profession protected and um, if you look around actually in the last few years our, our, our profession is, has been severely aggressed by by outside incoming people um, you know uh, seeing dentistry so uh, maybe I'd like to quickly change the debate to that and how we can, as, a, as, as professionals in dentistry, uh, protect our profession. Thank you. Before you start, uh, Nash, I'd like just to invite all the public, as usually ha halfway through, we are opening uh, the floor for the public to also intervene. Uh, right now, we've been on a two-thirds of our journey <laughs> talking about the first two questions. So uh, I'll let you come back at how we can intervene, but the floor is now open to, for the public. If uh, you have questions, just Please raise your hand and I'll give you the floor. So sorry, Nash, I was uh, I didn't interrupt you. Okay, I'll be the one I will be the first one answering your question. I think that personally, from a finance financial point of view, if you need to protect something, if you need to defend something, it is weak by nature. And as uh, if we talk as overachiever or as, as alpha, our job is not to protect the weak. I think it's to test it and to bet on our strength. So the strength we have today is we have the courage to go out there and say that we have to reinvent ourselves. We have to, to stay relevant to the public. And with this in mind, I think that it's either we do it or somebody else will. And we saw that in the past. So the best way here is not seeing this and say that what I'm losing, because you already lost it. Now it's what do I have to gain? And gaining here, it's uh, just a question of popularity will get us ahead. Um, I will just be very brief on the subject, but uh, Eric and I was working very closely with uh, the government of Canada and of Quebec to just advance, uh, not, not the cause, but mainly what can we do to stay relevant? And the minute, that people were seeing that we don't have the favor of the public, our voice went like this, poof. So what I'm trying to say here is whatever's gonna happen, if we don't stay relevant and close to the base, the public, 
would be part of the pass. Somebody help me out here. <laughs> well, I, I think I, if you if you want to continue to be relevant, and, and that that's that's a little bit what uh, what your next book is coming up. Uh, I think it's it's about being accessible. I think for me it goes back to the same ideas that Paul is bringing up and Eric. Make dentistry accessible to more people, and and it is what it is. But uh, technology is the way to go, uh, and it is. And we need as a body, as a dental body, to invest in the technology in order to number one, uh, make it accessible, and number two, protect our industry. I think I think it's very important. Uh, uh, you know, accessibility. We've talked about. Uh, uh, there's a there's a uh, you know for various reasons a big potential uh, uh, in the market that's just being not underutilized or under uh, because they don't they don't go to the dentist. So we've said that. Uh, what I like about technology is that it it, it helps us to stay very very close to science, which at the very beginning our profession is. A scientific profession, and there's standards and stuff like that, and and that's what another great advantage that technology brings. It's going to bring a huge transformation because those transformations will change the square footage that's required for for practice. That's 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 one thing. It'll change the way of practice. That's another thing. Um, you know, to date. Uh, it, it, uh, 10, 15 years, uh, you guys can correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, I mean, you know, I, I remember when we, when we first started, a cone, a cone beam was not accessible uh, in, in a dental practice. Nowadays, uh, uh, everybody has them. Um, the iTero, digitalized impression, those are things that were not accessible either. Uh, they, they came, I think, in 2008 or something, and now we're moving forward and forward. But um, to this point in time, all technologies that, that have been included in dental practices have not have failed to bring costs down um, they're actually gone brought costs up uh, to this point so it's it's more it technology is one thing and, and it's great but it, it requires a whole shift in the way we're going to think if we were if we're one of our objective is to make it more accessible and bring costs down that's a uh, there's a whole exercise of how do we implement and where do we go and who's getting what in all these uh, this situation? And I think that's part of the debate that we, we can't, you know, we can't miss that part. You know, I just want to, you know, we talk about our profession and protecting our profession. You know, um, it's funny, you know, we talk about that because, you know, we did lose a part of our profession. And we as dentists for the oral surgeons are here on, on in the room with us. You know, what was the guy's name? It was William Morton or something like that. He invented anesthesia in Boston um, and he demonstrated it to, to extract a tooth. And then today we, we don't have that. Anesthesia is, is now uh, uh, monopolized by medicine. So we lost a, a part of our, of our profession. Um, so, you know, it, I, I think it's, it's important that, you know, that we, that us, you know, we dentists do drive it this way, but just to come in and help us. But, uh, sorry, Paul, I, I want to maybe, uh, and again, I go back to what I said earlier and challenge all of you. How do you want to drive this when, uh, you know, our industry is being bought up slowly? Mm. Yes. Um, that's a great question. Um, 
I, I actually had a call with, um, let's say for, for, for lack of a better term, a DSO whisperer. So it's basically a coach who basically has the, the air of a lot of these luminaries, you know, Steve Bilt, um, Steve Thorne, Rick Workman. And, you know, one of the things, you know, he mentioned is that, you know, yes, there was consolidation that, that it was accelerating crisis and that we will see some consolidation going forward but depending on how deep this crisis is even the largest DSOs uh, they're still going to struggle with the existing model because it's it's very difficult for them they have basically an animal to feed and it's difficult for them to pivot and morph to take on the ideas that, that, that we've all been discussing in this forum. So I really don't think we will see the DSOs basically jump on this model. Um, I still think we will probably see um, consolidation continue within the industry to the point where, I mean, before COVID-19, they were saying by, uh, I think it was like by 2030 or 2040, um, it would probably be down to just 20% solo practitioners. Um, but I think COVID-19, like I said, is the accelerant. It's, it's a game changer. And I think it, 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 ultimately it's the public that will decide whether, you know, if what we're presenting is a better option. And I think they will, because it's going to have the convenience factor and the price factor for them. You know, we've found that um, a lot of the big or larger DSOs are getting more um, aligned and in tune with the quality and the efficiency in their models. And they have teams of C-level people that can manage and they're improving and they're getting better at doing that. And I, and I believe that, you know, they're, they're reaching our technology because they want to learn how to implement it to build efficiencies and monitoring and support to their teams where they need it. And they can't always find it because some of them are doing, um, I think Aspen has 25,000 patient visits a day. Uh, Dental is around 23,000 visits a day. Um, and that's their big fish out there that if they don't have those qual QAs and the right information it leaves them at the by far the largest market are the individual dentists or dentists that have two practices or three practices so they can also adopt the new technology and not everyone will go dso however statistics show almost half of the graduating class of dentists in the united states will go to these bigger organizations I, I think there's some value there, and I think that the DSOs are morphing and changing and redefining themselves differently than others. Um, some have a harder time to implement new technology because they are such large organizations, but I think that we shouldn't rule them out um, as an option. I agree. I agree. I, I, that was not my comment, uh, um, yeah. Eric. Uh, for me, uh, we are in the infancy of DSOs. where. I, I think the dentists are still very involved in controlling most of the DSOs. But as, as the time will change uh, and things will recycle, uh, these DSOs will mostly be led by stakeholders, which is not dentists. 
Correct. So one of, one of our algorithms theoretically can go into a practice and when a uh, private equity firm is looking to purchase a practice, the AI can evaluate and it wasn't diagnosed or treated. It can show overdiagnosis or underdiagnosis. So it could be used by these private equity groups to get a better perspective on what's going on in those practices. So I think that, you know, there's a lot of different hats that technology can play. And, you know, ethically, what's the best way to, to, to there's a lot of questions and it's, it's a new technology and it, it can't, it, we really have to think this through clearly to have it accepted in all these different areas and each solution. Um, that, that, that brings some of the excitement and some of the opportunity with all these changes. And now they're pushed forward a little bit more with this COVID crisis. Um, you know, just on a, a slightly different topic is that yesterday I had three patients that I saw were building the team back. Uh, I was listening to on the ADA call the other day and Steve Thorne from Pacific Dental said it was an ride down and it's going to be a slow escalator ride back navigating to the new normal, which kind of makes sense. It was an interesting analogy and a nice model uh, that, that sort of stuck in my head of the ride back. And the ride back hopefully will go to a new place, you know. Um, I may, if I may talk about the ride back, uh, same time last week, we did have a summit talking about the WET initiative. Paul, what is not with us today, but I invite all of you on the line to go have a look at this. He really has a way to bring back patients to a clinic as soon as we open. We just have to get organized, and he'd done that in the past. He, he was close to, uh, to lost everything in 2008, and he used that, uh, that plan to return to profitability, and uh, he, he has disclosed everything. Um, either on earnyoursmile.org or if for, for people who like to have more about this, this uh, the summit we did last week that is still on online, so you can you can watch it. But I think that the return will be slow if we keep our own ways. Now, if we, we find ways to leverage the fact that right now everybody is listening, this way for us to speed up our process and to, to stay relevant. I like that word a lot. <laughs> You know, what I was going to, uh, and you're correct, I, I was going to say with this new shift in technology, we trained in using teledentistry. We did all our tele teledentistry consultations. We were a little concerned about how our patients would feel. We explained that to them. We were honest with them. We did this at home. They're going, wow, this is pretty good. I don't have to come into your office. And then we said, well, when you come in, you know, we'll have a mask at the front. We'll sanitize your hands. We'll talk to you. If your ride wants to come in with you, and after these teledentistry consultations, they want to come in. The patients came in. They sat in a chair. We had them using DocuSign and different types of uh, signature formats for their, uh, all the forms. So our forms in the office got cut down. They walked in. They walked past the waiting room. They went in the chair. I got to talk to them for a few minutes and reviewed everything, but it was already reviewed. And so we got to have a personal discussion for, you know, get to know our patients, review a few important things. And we did our surgery and they left and they're like, wow, that was like the greatest thing ever. And it's odd because that touchy feeling conversation of the consultation and the relationship building, and it's already short as a specialist. And then the patients really liked it. 
So I don't know if that will continue, but it was an interesting experience that we all had and the patients had as well. So it'll be interesting to see moving ahead, three months, six months, looking back at what are we adopting, what changed, and, and how did it break these conceptions we had of how it had to be in our minds, you know? And, you know, it was just this, uh, an interesting point I wanted to share because it was a very new experience for us and good. Nash, to answer your question directly, um, I, I think that what has brought us here together is the fact that we have time. What has brought people to watch us because we have time and we all understand that what's ahead is not that, that, that pretty. So um, from, a, from a business point of view, what I see here is fear is coming and you can either capitalize on fear or you can be some more sick. Look at the way, look at the, the way you want. I think that we have the attention and if you have a message to pull out, the, it is a time. From my point of view, and I'm, I'm talking very generally here, but it's not the time to, to play it safe. It's not a time to try to, uh, to cover all the angles. I think that if there's one angle we can leverage and nothing has been tested, we have to, to try. I'm not saying to try new ways in medicine, but try new ways in the delivering of medicine or of dentistry. It is a time I, I will play it very boldly. I will put myself out and I have to test. I will not have that arrogance saying that everything we do is perfect. Everything we do is we have to, to try and to test. And for people who like to, to try it, we're, we're going to learn together. But our profession has um, a way with perfection. Every, everything has to be perfect. Everything has to be in, in, in protocol. And that's take time. And this is a, it's time that we don't have anymore. So if you, you want my approach to this, it's a, yes, we have to discuss. It has to make sense. But then you have to take the city out and to try all in. I'll like to return the question to you. What would you do to multiply your 300 employees to 600 employees? Well, I mean, you know, what we've noticed in, in this, uh, during this pandemic is that we, you know, as, as a very small DSO, obviously, we're, we've gotten a lot of uh, dentists that called us and say, you know, we maybe we're thinking about maybe selling now. So we've got, we've got many calls. And, and my response to these young dentists, and some of them are very young, actually, just acquiring, and I said, you know, take your time. Just don't, don't let the stress of the situation push you into doing a decision or taking a decision that you might regret down the line because when you join a when you join a small large medium it doesn't matter dso you're obviously joining a vision you've got you've got you got to fit into that and when you do a rash decision you're not necessarily right so um so that was my that are going to use this pandemic as an opportunity to purchase a large number of, uh, of dentists who are right now very scared of not of the immediate but also of the future. So um, you know the ideas that uh, Eric and, and I, I can't wait to to talk to Eric offline after because we're working on a lot of AIs and also I think we have a lot of similar projects. Um, but you know the ideas that Eric and Paul are bringing on board with with the use of AI and technology is 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 huge and it's going to change I think dentistry. So um, you know the model of come and rent my, my office to, to work instead of having your office as a model is going to be, you know, opening in the next few weeks. Why? Because a lot of dentists might be able to afford to have a, 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 an office. 
So I think the rent a dentist office is going to be a huge model coming forward and, and other models are going, to, are going to open up, which will be able to sustain the, the profession, but change it in a lot of ways. So you're going to acquisition. That's mainly the... Uh... We, we, are, we, are, we are in acquisition mode, but I think it's not just, you know, it's always been, are you in acquisition mode? Are you in, in, in you know, so... I don't think we're in a, we're, we're only in acquisition mode. We're also in, in, we're always also in internal growth mode, like, like Paul has done. And, and, and that is a lot of times more important than acquisition mode. Thank you for your honesty. Eric Pover, I'd like to, to know, um, we have different metrics here and yours is more about advancing AI. How will you do to, uh, to wipe us off of the map? <laughs> How will you do to replace us? Oh, I, I hope we'll never be replaced, right? There's, there's people that talk about the human in the loop, and there's a lot of confusion between AI, machine learning. You know, machine learning helps us to take all the data that we can't help. Like, individually, I, I spend a lot of time feeling like I need to read, and I have to learn, and I'm curious about new things, but I can't keep up with everything. I rely on my phone, and I search on my phone. I, I You know, so... The machine learning helps us as individuals to become better at what we're doing, whether it's practicing dentistry or, uh, or law or medicine or business or technology and, and manufacturing. So I think that um, I look at it more like we have a responsibility to take this new technology and, and introduce it to our profession and introduce it to patients in a trusted way that's validated academically, that is organized and, and we take time by some of, you know, working with some of the top, you know, people in our fields um, and in, in the business of dentistry to utilize it in the right way. And then we need to have checks to make sure that the AI doesn't make a mistake. And I think that having a human in that loop is okay and should be there. But some of the simple tasks that we do, maybe we'll slowly move on and not have to worry about them as much and we won't have a simple oversight error on a thing that we repetitively do that doesn't take a, a higher level of human cognitive thought so we have to look at how we're entering into this and as things develop and improve we can you know open up ourselves to uh communicating with our patients building up that relationship whether it be online or in person um you know, being able to, to efficiency, efficiently build uh, systems into our practices that make it more acceptable for patients to show up and to help them more when they're at home and show them the benefit of what dental care can do in a new innovative way. So I, I, don't, I, I don't really subscribe to we're getting rid of dentists. That's not going to happen. I mean, I, I think it's going to raise the level and importance of dentistry into um, systemic health if you don't have your teeth you're not chewing your food you got increased acid reflux you've got lower albumin folic acid b12 your gut biome have a lot of books written on that uh is is different your diet's different your your mental health it's all linked health and wellness is linked to what we eat and the first thing we do when we're eating is we use our teeth to chew our food and we also have our smile right so the dentists involved aren't going away but AI can help maybe uh, bring more light on the importance of our industry and dentistry. And that's kind of where I see it coming. So I think the people should not worry. Also say to people, you know, it's, 
you know, my daughter used to say when she was young, we'd say, and there, my youngest is 18 now, I'll say, is tomorrow today? Because we'd say, we'll get that tomorrow for you. And, and when I talk sometimes about AI and the innovations we had, people go, yeah, one day we'll have it. But I'd say, you know, tomorrow is today because we have these things. They may not be perfect, but they're usually a lot more developed and sophisticated uh, and further along the road than, than most of us think. So it's kind of, you know, I hope we can share that in the right way and it's accepted in the right way and it's not, we're not frightened of it. Um, but yet we need to be respectful of some of the problems that we see in the news out there with AI. And, and, so many ways you're saying it's, this is the future and it is safe for this to invest, right? <laughs> no, I think that, I think that's yes. And I think that there's, it's the beginning and just like anything else, if you look back in a year, because it's going so quickly in two years and five years, we'll go, oh my God, look what we were happy with before. And we're, we're, we're moving forward quickly. And uh, if we don't, if we're not open to imagination and creativity and these opportunities today and we don't invest in them, we won't have something that's, you know, further along later. So, yes, I think it's the time to, to be involved and to, you know, participate in helping to shape how AI can influence our decision making in oral health care, in medicine and in the society we, we live in. Yeah. And we could be leaders in this, you know. We're we're good at this, right? I mean, as a periodontist, you know the minutia, the, the, the interactive stuff as oral surgeons and as dentists. We manage patients. We run a business. We, we, we build trust. We, we have a lot that we can develop. And I think that, uh, you know, we're a special group of people and we should be able to bring this forward in the right way. That's, Thank you. Yeah, well, I, I'd, I'd like maybe just take a second to echo Eric's comments because I think there is a misconception, and I, maybe I brought it up, but AI is not necessarily going to disrupt our industry in a bad way and take maybe work away from us because if you look at AI in, in, in x-ray interpretation, if you want, it's been shown that dentists miss 50% of x-ray interpretation themselves. So actually AI will allow us to diagnose more stuff, not necessarily. So it's not necessarily a bad thing i think it's a great thing it just has to be applied properly right now yeah I, I totally agree and our findings in our studies that we've done show that very thing and it also finds uh almost 50 percent more of incipient and moderate decay than the maxillofacial radiology that we trained that trained it that we then ran it again so if we can find things earlier and we can show patients maybe even a progression. We don't have to do this now, but now it's gone from a 30% probability to a 65% probability. We no longer have a gut feeling. We have evidence, an evidence-based decision that we're making a decision and moving ahead. Um, so patients hopefully will accept that. They'll understand it. They may become one day uh, ready to expect something like that. Less expensive care, but more of it in a trusted way. Um, and that's just what carries. What about using some of the technology that Paul talked about? If in fact squid ink or something else could be used, I'm not familiar with that other than when you, I recall you mentioning that. Um, we can build those up into our system. We can have good serial evidence based uh, decisions, maybe better than we could ever make before. Um, I know that. Uh, 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 Oryx has something like that with uh, 
Dr. Sala and uh, John Coyce, and they're using treatment planning, evidence-based decision-making and sequencing to help come up with treatment plans as well. So there's a lot of interesting opportunities out there. Thank you, Eric. Now, let's see if we move on to another matrix. It's how many people we can help. I'm, not, I'm addressing Dr. Eric Lacoste. At the, at the light of this crisis, how, uh, how are you uh, looking to help those children? And where are you standing on that point? Uh, I think you're moving completely off topic. That's your matrix. <laughs> well, respectful. Very diverse, but respectful. <laughs> no, no. I, was, I was right in the middle of the conversation. I was actually taking notes. This is, uh, this is, uh, this is, this is great. We were afraid that we, were, we, were not, we didn't have enough uh, material to cover the, the hour and a half. And it's, uh, it's been an hour and 40 minutes already. So that's why I have to speed up a little bit. But on your matrix, how would you move forward? No, I, I, I think uh, I, I agree with everything that has been said in terms of technology and in terms of how to integrate it. Uh, obviously, um, I think it has to be done in such a way where, uh, uh, you know, uh, we have to move away from, from uh, uh, what I'm going to say is the, the dark side of our, of our industry and make sure we don't lose humanity. Uh, um, but uh, what we've heard uh, this afternoon with, with guys, uh, I think it's uh, it's amazing. Um, and, and as long as it's, again, integrated in the right way, because what we've seen to this point in terms of integrating technology has only increased our cost in practice, has only made us get more and more and more stuff and, and, and rendered, I think, dentistry less accessible much wrapping up everything we've talked about uh if we can find ways to and, and if if the solution is is those imaging centers uh, uh you know uh, so be it but i think uh we have to find ways where, where we can implement those solutions very quickly uh, so in order to be if, if efficient in order to stay ahead in our industry i think that's really the the, the message here and and uh and i for one believe that uh, this has to be done in a way where we re where we remain human contact. As far as helping others, that's just part of my business model. Uh, it, it's just something where where uh, uh, you know it's a completely different topic. It's just that as for myself, I mean, regardless of the success, regardless of the technology, regardless of everything we've implemented, uh, we believe that uh, it's extremely important to be uh, uh, to be in link and in sync. With the community in, in which we're doing business so that's pretty much uh, uh you know we'll continue doing that and hopefully uh that's gonna work out well thank you and good luck that's uh dominique you have any you have more hope or you you just say that okay i can't talk to this crowd i'm gonna move away with my millions <laughs> no, no 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 um there's a startling number here 64 percent of adults, of younger adults, you know, 58 and under, did not visit the dentist in 2016. And that, that's in the good times. You know, so what we have coming post COVID-19, I'm just seeing here that, um, I don't know if you um, are familiar with uh, Paul Krugman, um, he's a, a economist here in the US and he's just saying that he thinks that you know the economy is going to head into some kind of depression era um, 
state here shortly because of, of, of COVID-19. Um, so even if in, in the good times, we were still not reaching, we were reaching less than half of um, what's going to happen post-COVID-19. And I, I think we really need to start thinking out of the box and, and leveraging the technology. We need to look at other industries um, and, and see how they have gotten uh, disruptive. And then we as dentists need to drive that, 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 that change. I, I hate calling it disruption, but it, it is a form of disruption. You haven't answered the question. Are you staying with us? Are you moving forward with your millions to talk to other people? <laughs> I, I beg your pardon? Uh, you ha have you I'm having I'm having connectivity issues. So I, your yours, I'm not hearing you totally well back. You're um. Yeah, yeah. I'm looking for blood. You're sounding yeah. very metallic. What I'm trying to ask is, have you renewed your faith in the community of dentists, or you've been moving forward with your millions and those ideas to just make this the right way? I'm not entirely sure I understand what you're saying, um, um, but I, I think you mean what, what side of the fence I'm on. Um, no, I'm I, I'm on the side of the fence in of bringing more patients into the mix, helping more patients. Um, and again, it, it goes back to you know one of the things that I think that's unique to me than all the other dentists in this panel was early in my career, I would. Uh, get in a car and I would drive to some rural part of Kentucky and I would literally screen an entire school. That was like sometimes 700 miles. I would do it myself. I would start in the morning and go all the way uh, to, to, you know, we would come in with, uh, with uh, portable equipment and set up in the high school gym or, or, or the middle school gym. And I would literally screen uh, these patients and collect data for the state of Kentucky. And uh, the, the things I saw shocked me and they still shock me to this day. And you know, that, that was you know, almost 20 years ago. And I have that experience that I, I just don't think you know, most of you, you don't have. Um, how, many of you, how many of you all have looked at 700 miles in a day? Um, no, I, don't, I haven't counted them, but it probably <laughs> was. <laughs> Um, but they've probably done uh, quite a bit, but it, it, it was in, 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 in third world countries, but it, it's the same, uh, the same principles. I completely agree with what you're saying, Bob. Yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, saying this, promoting the same message about accessibility and how technology can bring us to that point, you know, yeah. and, and I think that's really the big, uh, the big message, the big take home, take home that we're all disputing. And, um, you know, Eric is bringing uh, innovative solutions in terms of uh, of AI and how it can help us, and 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 that's definitely uh, something that uh, we have to uh, to embrace. And I think uh, to reach what Nash was saying is to make sure that this does not come from an an, an outside uh, force. Um, Correct. We have to, we have to do it ourselves uh, uh, because it, because the smile direct is that. The, the new trend and 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 that's one thing we, we want to stay away from and if i can interject that smile direct is just 
the initiation of a trend because ultimately it's there's going to come to a point where every household over the world is going to have a 3d printer and who's to stop a dentist engaging with the patient in any local market a dentist from overseas and say you know pay me 60 dollars and you can print your own aligners um when that I, day comes so that's the next level of, of disruption in, in, in the aligner market. But, you know, sorry to cut you off, um, Dr. Lacoste. Go ahead. No, no problem. I, I, no, I completely agree. Mm. But what I'm saying is at the same time and is we have to find a way that this is done. Uh, it has to, you know, uh, uh, in a certain order for ethics to remain, you know, to remain this important as well. Um, and, and more important, and I feel like I'm revealing myself too much, but uh, uh, again, same thing. To this day, the technologies we've embraced uh, 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 and included in our practice, I only made things uh, cost gone up, not down. You know, and, that, and, that, and that's something. No, I, 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 I hear where you're coming from, for sure. Um, but to, to, to follow up with what Dr. Eric Pulva said, um, you know, he's correct that ultimately, you know, uh, the solution to, to, to our diseases comes from the microbiome. Um, um, but, you know, nutritionists and doctors and us dentists, we, we talk to patients for years about the importance of nutrition and diet. And it's still not seeping into a vast majority of the population. That's why we where we, we have these patients walking around with, with, even as young as some of the patients that I see, they're pre-diabetic. Uh, and that's a shock to uh, uh, It all stems from you know, an unhealthy uh, gut microbiota and unhealthy eating. Um, but that is a difficult thing to change because it's, it's, it's a culture. How do you change culture? It's, it's, a, it's a hard it's the right thing to do um, but it's all going to start but it's going it's all going to start right there right because because something even a dollar is too expensive if you have no interest correct you know but, uh, uh, nowadays you have you have uh, uh, on the apple store you, you they're fighting to sell apps for 99 cents or even for free and then integrated so yeah. all these things make it so that we cannot circumvent the fact that you know you can build them but people have to come Right. But, you know, back to the nutrition and the diet and the microbiome and, and promoting a healthy microbiome for society is we're still lucky in dentistry. In my experience, and this is talking to all different uh, socioeconomic groups of patients, talking to people about diet, it's almost like religion and politics it's it's very controversial um but we're very lucky that we have this thing called teeth that's technically on the outside of our body where we can literally manage the microbiome from them um and that is where we're lucky as dentists um compared to other i mean a cardiologist would love to get into patients arteries and clean them out you know on a monthly basis but the, the reality that it's, it's at, at this point in society is, is, is just not there. But we have the ability to do it. We have the ability to monitor it, watch how it grows, um, 
and determine the risk and then remove it to the patient. I completely, I completely agree. But it all starts with a will. Yes. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. How many, how many years have people known, have we known as societies and at the whole planet that smoking is bad for you? Yeah. You know, and, 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 and yet people are still, a lot of people are still, you know, uh, but, but, but but look, when you know, it's funny you mentioned about smoking because the other day I was uh, watching uh, an interview with uh, Leonard Nimoy. I'm sorry, because I think that's what Daniel has something to say. He's been waiting for a long time. I think I think where I want to intervene between Paul and Eric to say is that the, the last few years dentistry has created uh, two really uh, opposing images. The one of being cosmetics and the one of being health oriented. And I think that's created a, a really a, a, a very diverse message out there to the population because he wants to sell me a crown to look better. Or am I going to my dentist because I need the crown to get a better, you know, eat better? So I think that we have to change that image of uh, we are healthcare professionals. Uh, and, and it's not easy because we're living in, in an industry where um, if you look at the orthodontic uh, space, if you want, um, there is a feeling out there between the orthodontists that they've sold their profession from a health-oriented uh, treatment-based to a purely cosmetic treatment. Uh, so I, I think this is where the challenge is going to be, Paul, a little bit. Well, yeah, no. it's a very good point because what happens, you know, you have dentists calling themselves cosmetic dentists. So if you're a cosmetic dentist uh, and maybe back can, can uh, uh, intervene and, and tell us his point of view on that. <laughs> I made it on purpose. <laughs> I, I can tell you that I don't do anything else than, than, than cosmetic dentistry. Really. Right? And my patients are calling me from home saying, when are you coming back? <laughs> I was waiting to catch you right there. You asked me to do it. <laughs> you, are a you are the disease of the artery. I have no problem calling myself a customer dentist, but I can, what I can tell you is the day I decided to devote myself to that title, I was loved by my patient. I, was, I, I found my relevancy <laughs> from that day on. Yeah, but no, no, we, we understand, but, but, but it contributes to the big debate. Industry is seen as a cosmetic industry. The message you're sending is quite I different than you. the healthcare. I can tell you, it's the day you give the pride back to a patient, that day he starts to listen to you. That day he will start to take care of his teeth. Because until that point, it was yeah, affordable to him. You so can't, but you can't do that. Yeah, but you can't person, do that until health is restored. Actually, yes and no. Because I have patients that I've been talking to for years saying that you have to fix your cavity first. And that person didn't want to hear a thing. And it wasn't a question of money. But then, I want to name her, but she came in and said, I'll get married tomorrow, though. Can you make my smile better? I had no choice. I fixed her smile. You know, and back, what happened? She showed up back, for the rest of her appointments. We're, we're not talking about the fact that there is no need for cosmetic dentistry. I, I think it's, it's, it's misplaced. My comment was misplaced. There is maybe a need for, there is a need for cosmetic dentistry because it's, but I think that we need to, you know, our image needs to be separated as, you know, we are the healthcare providers of the oral cavity. Uh, uh, but th that doesn't take the fact that we, we, I'm not saying we don't need cosmetic dentists. It's, it's, you're right, giving a smile back is a gift and it, there, there is value to that. 
but we need to be uh, seen as I the would, healthcare I would providers. Further, uh, Nash, it's uh, from my point of view, and I'm seeing this live while there's hundreds of people watching. It's as dentists, what I've learned is to listen to my patient. If I listen to what they want, then they will listen to me of how we can get there. And yes, I'm a doctor, so I still have to look at the basis first, and then I can build on top of it. But I think that for way too long, as dentists, we've been standing up and looking down on them, saying that this, I, need, I know what you need. I will tell you what you need. And sometimes this message is not passing anymore. So um, I, I don't think that there's a choice. I think that the main thing is we have to be humble enough to listen to the public, and mainly the public is our boss. If they stop showing up, we don't have a job anymore. That's, if you ask my point, that, that was it. I was so comfortable in the financial part of this. Well, you had to bring me to Constantine. We had to please you a little bit there. <laughs> I, I would go back to um, something that's interesting is that in order to get people to adopt this, there has to really be some incentive for them. So if, if you say, don't smoke, you know, what's your incentive? Because smoke, you have a higher chance of having pulmonary disease, emphysema, maybe cancer. And what is the cost on the healthcare side, the dollar cost and the taxes? They're high. If we look at dentistry and we look at oral health, um, even the ADA published in their journal a, a whole research paper that they were hoping to show a link, and it was a challenge to show a direct link between oral health and systemic health. Now, we do have published papers that show it, but not a lot. But as we um, take our data and we look at it differently, and this is more in a population health basis um, with the epidemiologists at the dental schools that are linking in with the EMRs and the hospitals, if you find people that are diabetic and they're going to the dentist more frequently, I know that uh, Kaiser Permanente Dental Associates have shown this dental starting to show this some of the schools are looking into it it's very early we can show uh, perhaps a decrease in the healthcare costs for that so if we say if you go to the dentist and this is a long-term view um, dentiquest is looking at it with their value-based care and reimbursement alternatives um, if we see that there's a benefit for the patient so the patient's premium goes down maybe the patient gets some other benefits in our society because they're actually going to the dentist and it's being documented that they went that we're driving them for their oral health care because it links into their systemic health their gut biome and cardiovascular disease and age-related illnesses and we can show that maybe statistically biologically you know eric as a periodontist you guys have been far ahead for years in the microbiology right i would imagine a periodontist would have cured COVID already. What are you doing? <laughs> I, I was getting, I'm that close, I'm that close. <laughs> no, one, no one knows more about these things than, than you guys, right? I mean, I know a little, but not, and my perio colleagues are right on top of this. So I'm thinking that if we look at that in a different way, we then come up with an incentive. So if there was an incentive to stop smoking instead of a penalty, maybe we would have had a bigger impact. But, you know, I'm just an oral surgeon from, you know, Chicago, Canadian oral surgeon, uh, you know, what, who's going to listen to me? But I think that we need to look I at did. things differently. <laughs> we need to 
Definitely. The, the incentive there is cutting costs, cutting costs of the patient, cutting costs to the insurance companies, um, cutting costs to society. I mean, again, look, look at when the patient is showing up. I mean, what was every 15 seconds, a patient showing up to an emergency uh, department for a dental condition in the United States. Um, 2.1 million is the number of emergency department visits for dental conditions in 2017. And uh, um, what was it? It's a 70% of, of uh, emergency room vi uh, visits outside business hours is for dentistry. Uh, that uh, uh, corresponds to $2.7 billion. Um, you know, there's your incentive. Um, and that was the incentive to 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 dry to to cut smoking to to reduce healthcare costs, um, and and that was going back to you know when um, when uh, Dr. Lacosta talked about smoking. I mean, um, I mean, we went very quickly in society. We were able to reduce smoking. I mean, from, I mean, uh, I was looking at an interview with Leonard Nimoy, who used to play uh, Mr. Spark on on, on Star Trek. Um, very recently, he, he, of course, he's, he's passed away from uh, pulmonary uh, fibrosis, but he go to the doctor in the seven, 1970s, the doctor had the white coat on no smoking. Today, we don't see that. Um, and the incentive there was to basically to, to, to promote not smoking to ultimately cut medical care costs. Um, and I think that's one of the incentives, you know, of, of going to a more preventative, um, digitized model of, of dentistry is to cut costs. I'm sorry to interrupt. This is pretty much the time we have. So if I'm asking each one of you to give in, into a minute, if you can wrap a gift for the people who stood by us for two hours, <laughs> for them to move ahead, what would that be? If we start with Dr. Pulver, which has, I haven't speak much. <laughs> Uh, I, you know, I think that I think that um, we've talked a lot about things over the last, uh, you know, hour and a half or so conversations on on our thoughts. But overall, I'd say, you know, ask why, why, why do things look the way that they're looking, and try to come up with logical sequence of why you're doing things in a certain way and ask questions all the time. Could you be doing them differently? And being open to uh, possibilities and creativity and visions of, of what tomorrow could look like. And we can each play a little part in making those things happen. And I'd say in order to do that, you, you do have to kind of take care of yourself, you know, exercise, work out, eat right. I mean, I, I think if you do something good for yourself, you're going to feel better about doing more for others. So, uh, so don't neglect yourself. Stress can be a, a, a challenging thing we all face. And I think we all are anxious. We're all fearful. Nobody's different. It's how we react to those things. And sometimes it's hard. And sometimes we need friends and colleagues to talk to to get through and get back on track. So reach out to people. Don't be isolated or alone. Um, and, uh, I, I think that if we look at all that and we surround ourselves by inspirational people and take opportunities that are unknown, like what most of us did today in getting together and discussing in a group, you know, people can be inspired by others to keep pushing along, right? And as much as I don't know that we are or, or I am or 
we're, but we strive to be with people that are doing important things and that can rub off on us. So that's kind of how I deal with things and hopefully some of that information um, can be shared and maybe help you. I hope you'll be coming back. It's the first, uh, it's the first time as a alpha. I hope you'll be coming back as uh, we surely have a lot to discuss. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, thank you for having me. And it's a pleasure meeting all of you guys. And I hope to uh, keep hey, in touch. Line, stay line, stay line. <laughs> I'm not going anywhere. I'm just yeah. saying I keep in touch with you guys offline and uh, to catch up with you, Paul. It's been too long. We, I remember we had a great conversation back in Florida, and yeah. we for a long time. And that was that was a great inspirational. Uh, a conversation. I love your thoughts and, and your thought process and your ideas. So, so, Daniel, if you have a minute to wrap your gift for public, what would that be? Uh, I I want to echo Eric's comments. And number one, I I, I think uh, you know uh, overachiever is, is is an overstatement as far as I'm concerned. I, I think what what I would pretty much call myself more is is, is an overseeker than an overachiever. So. Um, I think that the the if, if from what I learned, I was for me it was a learning experience. This uh, this this session is that we need to find a way uh, for our industry. Talking about our industry, actually, you know, to see how we can incentivize our patients to come and see us in the next few months in order to reboot our industry. And I think that from what I've learned from uh, you know the advice of Eric, Paul, and, and and Eric, Eric and Eric, is that looking in the future, we need to uh, use technology to increase two things, access and acceptance. I think this is the key. So uh, on a humane level, I think that, um, you know, and I'm not necessarily a, a, a profit, but uh, I, I echo Eric's comments. I, I think it's, you know, this break has been great. Continue to use this break uh, as an incentive to maybe take care of yourself more on the, uh, on the personal side, but also on the mental and, uh, emotional uh, uh, side, I think that uh, this is this would be my advice. Thank you. And again, it's the first time that you uh, appear with us in one of those panels. I hope that you'll be coming back. Hope you had fun. It will be a pleasure. Yes, thank you. Okay, for the men who threw me under the bus today, that's like us, if you have a minute to wrap your gift, <laughs> what would that be? <laughs> well, uh, the first thing that comes to mind is really the idea that uh, as we all, I think we all agree on one thing is that there's a lot of uh, uncertainty and a lot of things that are, that are, you know, changing at a very, very fast pace. Uh, we have to come up with solutions for these things. And I think this cannot come from a single individual. It cannot come from a single body. It has, and, and, and those, uh, uh, you know, meetings that we've done this afternoon, um, where people get together, share ideas, and develop a vision. And the more, the more we share that together, the more we're likely that this vision will represent society as a whole and will bring solutions that will uh, 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 you know, help us be becoming better. Because this is one of the message, uh, I think, uh, um, you know, going back to the book that we wrote together, uh, I think this is one of the message we wanted to send was not only about you know, it's not just profit. It's not just an industry. It's it's making uh, uh, the world better because that's what we're seeing right now. I mean, people are coming together and, and making messages uh, um, that can resonate. And if we can do that, all that while rebooting an industry, you know, incorporating those changes, 
uh, I think uh, uh, we can we can change the world, uh, like you would say back, change the world from a dental chair. So that's really yeah, that's uh, What you tell me, it's cosmetic is good, right? <laughs> cosmetic is good. Cosmetic is good because we all smile in the same language. <laughs> and uh, that's very by the way. You've been with us from the beginning of this journey. Uh, hopefully, you will stay with us for a long time. Because <laughs> this is this one thing I've learned. This is to build from the difference. And this is what we learned to do together. And it's amazing yep. how far we have pushed. And even if I regret the first few minutes when I make you a promise, today I'm having so much fun. <laughs> <laughs> Next time, I'll throw you under the bus, you see. <laughs> <laughs> if, Thank uh, you, guys. If I'm asking you to wrap your gift within 30 seconds, <laughs> what would that be? I, I, I don't consider myself an overachiever. Um, but um, if I, you know, if you permit me, I'd like to invoke uh, Sir James Dyson, you know, the inventor of the vacuum cleaner, the Dyson box. I just want things to work better. Um, I just don't see why we should have significant uh, sectors of our population showing up in emergency rooms after hours for dental problems. It's a frustrating thing. Um, it's a costly thing. Um, and I just want the system to work better. Wow, you did that in 30 seconds. <laughs> Thank you, Paul. Um, I hope you'll be coming back and I, I, I thank you for taking the time to share your ideas, even if you know that those are dangerous ideas to share with this, a crown of dentists. But thanks to people like you, next time we might be part of the solution rather than be left aside. Thank you. Thank you. Now, it's my time, <laughs> it's my time to wrap something. And, um, you know, when you pass last, it's always more difficult. But I'm so happy that Dr. Nash didn't get through into, to this one. Uh, I want <laughs> to tell you that my gift to you is what I'll be doing. Um, mainly at this stage, a lot of people are taking more depth. And depth, it's easy. It's easier than ever. I can tell you that before the crisis, I was looking for millions. Now I'm looking for hundreds of millions. I'm not saying it's easy, but it's easier. And I think that moving forward, your ability to contract more debt will make the difference between can you move forward or you've been survivable. So for my part, and this is what I'm showing, borrow as much as you can, as fast as you can, because this will not last for long. As soon as the government will have their eyes somewhere else, everything will be harder and the only thing that can keep you alive is how many debt or how many liquidity you still have that being said i like to readdress something said by many of our, my peers here it's the overachievers we needed a title to to attract people to come listen to us for two hours in a friday afternoon so you have to apologize the boldness but i think that all the people who uh, are here today you're not here because you are overachievers it's because you're overachieving and that you will still be overachieving. This is what we want to have out of this. Um, we were afraid to not be able to cover more than an hour. I had a hard time cutting you off and I'm so sorry, Dr. Dominique, if <laughs> we need another hour to, to just cover the rest of what you have in mind. But I'm sure that this will not be the last summit. And uh, I'm gonna take this opportunity to to reach out to all of you at home. We call ourselves alphas, not because we're better, not because we are smarter, just because we're the first one taking a voice. The only way that this can work is, is other people are joining in and share the dialogue and discussion. And 
for those of you who are who, who, who feel that like calling just reach out as the next uh, summit will happen i think that for long, as long as the confinement will last we will try to have this kind of discussion 